Hello, you're listening to Professional Dork, a storytelling podcast. My name is Anne Werner, and I will be your host today. This is the first episode of a brand new podcast. I'm so excited and so nervous. I hope you enjoy the story today. Uh, Today's tale is something I wrote just for fun. Thought I'd kick off the podcast by being a little silly. Um, I'm not usually terribly crass and crude on this show or any other, but today, if you have little ones, uh, the title of this episode involves a pun on a common nickname given to boys named Richard. A double entendre, if you will. It's a bit of a PG-13 joke, but it in no way reflects the tone of the rest of the story. So sending them out of the room for a second or skipping ahead of the summary to after the music cue is up to your discretion. But it was too good of a pun not to use, forgive me. I'll try not to be such a crass young lady in the future. Anyway, the summary. Today's story retells Christopher Nolan's movie plot of The Dark Knight Rises, with one major difference— Bruce Wayne is not Batman. No, Batman today is played by Dick Grayson, who totally should have been in that movie, and when I watch it, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is not named John Blake. I overdub it with Richard Grayson in my mind every single time. So, obviously some knowledge of Batman comics and characters will be useful in understanding this story. Otherwise, some jokes may not land. Um, If you haven't cracked open a comic book since the first crisis, well, don't blame me if this doesn't make a lick of sense. Not that it's going to be too terribly sensical and serious anyway, um, but that's enough preamble. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for assembling in this The Internet Ether. I present to you tonight's tale, the Batman movie that never was, or as I prefer to call it, The Dick Knight Rises. So Bruce has been missing for years. No one's sure where he's gone. Sometime between the events of the Dark Knight with the Joker and all that, and today he's just kind of gone off somewhere. And Bruce's butler, Alfred, and his former ward, Dick Grayson, sort of field the inquiries like, oh, he's off in Brazil with a supermodel, private island, not sure if they get cell phone service there, that sort of thing. Wayne Enterprises still hosts functions and stuff, like Harvey Dent Day, but other than making sure all that stuff still happens, Dick Grayson mostly stays out of it. It's just not his scene, and the adoption hasn't happened yet in this universe, so his legal rights and social standing are kind of a source of insecurity. He goes to a party like this, and someone usually gets drunk and asks why that freeloading gypsy is still hanging around after he's turned 18. So we open up on that party at Wayne Manor for Harvey Dent Day. Harvey Dent is better known to some as Two-Face. By some, pretty much just Batman and Commissioner Gordon and a few select others. The two of them have sort of perpetuated a myth about Harvey Dent being like the saint of Gotham um, to kind of keep criminals in line. They don't want the population to know that he turned crazy and became a murderer and all that. I'm just refreshing your memory. I am kind of hoping that you've seen the movie so that otherwise this story doesn't really play. Um, Selena Kyle, beautiful young lady, is wandering around the party as a server. Um, Commissioner Gordon nearly gives his speech about Harvey Dent and cops out at the last minute. Pun totally intended. Um, 
Dick knows about the whole Harvey Dent is actually Two-Face thing. He's read Bruce's case files. And we all remember the events of the last movie. Gotham's White Knight lost half his face, among other things, and kind of went a little nuts. Um, Gotham's Dark Knight, the Batman stopped him and was accused of murdering him, and he took the blame because if anything tarnished Harvey Dent's reputation, the Dent Act wouldn't be a thing and a whole lot of criminals would be back on the streets. Harvey Dent was a symbol, a martyr, and our dear Kamish can't let anything mess with that. And as far as crime stats go, it's been successful, though no one's seen the Batman since. Or Bruce Wayne. Dick Grayson manages to get out occasionally, but he's a little bit preoccupied with trying to crack the mystery of where in the world is Bruce San Diego. And like I said, these parties are not his thing. Which is why Alfred has a server bring up a tray of food for him, and that server is Selena Kyle. This is not going to end well. Dick catches Selena sneaking around the East Wing, and rather like his mentor in the actual movie, notices that this chick has stolen the pearls of Martha Wayne. And once Selena makes her escape out the window, he also notices that she's dusted for fingerprints. Dick knows that he has to track down the pearls because otherwise Bruce will kill him, drop him in a Lazarus pit, and then kill him again, go back in time, and kill him a third time, and finally make Superman punch reality hard enough that Dick returns from the grave for a fourth killing. Bruce takes his dead parents very, very seriously. But thankfully, those pearls have a tracer. Alfred is not so happy to see Dick down in the Batcave using the computer, because he's too old for this, and the absence of Master Bruce is weighing heavily on him. But again, Pearls, Mrs. Wayne, Bruce will kill them. So they find Selina and the Pearls, realize her real target was Bruce's fingerprints, and start hatching a plan to catch a jewel thief. Meanwhile, across the city, a young man named Jason Todd hears of a kid found dead in the sewers. He used to know that kid. They grew up in the St. Swithin's home for boys after Jason's parental troubles became somewhat permanent. Jason drops by St. Swithin's to give the sad news to the kid's uh, little brother and also learns that the money from the Wayne Foundation, money that would have allowed this dead kid to have a home and not be poking around the sewers for extremely fishy-sounding employment, has not been coming for the past several years. Jason is a take-charge kind of guy, go-directly-to-the-source, deal-with-problems-head-on sort of dude, so he takes a cab to the ritzy side of Gotham to talk with Mr. Wayne, see if he can't charm the guy into reinstating that donation to help the orphaned kids of Gotham. Yes, Jason Todd and charm and politely convincing people to do stuff doesn't exactly go together, but he figures he's gotta try. Jason comes to the front door of the mansion, tries to talk to the head of the household, Alfred informs him that Mr. Wayne is not taking visitors, also won't let him talk to Mr. Grayson, and ultimately turns him away. Jason responds by throwing a Molotov cocktail through one of the windows, and that gets Dick's attention, but not in the good way. And Jason spends the rest of the day lying low so the police don't arrest him. But that's when he's approached by one Timothy Drake, son of Jack Drake, heir to Drake Industries, who was hiding in the bushes with a camera. Stalker Timmy also wants to talk to the master of the Wayne house and can get Jason through the door, or so he says. Jason agrees to the help. They walk up to Wayne Manor together, and when Alfred threatens to send them packing, Tim sweetly says he just wants to ask what Mr. Grayson knows about Roland Desmond's murder. That opens the door right up. 
And now Dick is in a room with Jason and listening to Tim explain how he was there on the night of the Grayson murders um, when Dick's parents fell from a trapeze in the circus that they performed in. And he's basically been stalking Dick ever since he grew out of diapers. And while Dick secretly thinks that Tim is kind of a creepo, he lets him finish the story. Gotham needs a Batman, Tim says, and Jason says Gotham needs Bruce Wayne. Wayne supported so many charities and civic improvement projects and really made a difference in the city as a man and as a vigilante. And since Bruce isn't around so that Jason and Tim can convince the man it's a wonderful life, Dick is going to have to step up for the sake of the people of Gotham. One step at a time, Wayne Enterprises funded the St. Swithin's Home for Boys, which it can't do if there's no profits. The company's been floundering, and while Dick isn't the legal son of Bruce Wayne, he is the legal heir, and Brucey has been absent for a long, long time. While Dick doesn't have the business chops necessary to reassure all the shareholders, he does have those impressive leadership skills honed by several years of running the Teen Titans, and more importantly, he is present, and Bruce is not. It takes some convincing, but Dick takes control of Wayne Enterprises in a move that worries Daggett at first. Remember that snivelly guy in the movie who hired Selina to steal the fingerprints? But then the dude figures he can use this to his advantage. Next step is talking to Jim Gordon, who took a little trip through the sewer system, got shot, and met Bane. Not necessarily in that order. Not a lot of people believe the commissioner's story, but Jason convinced Dick there's something suspicious going on in that sewer that got a kid killed. And while Timmy hasn't seen any sign of the Batman lately, he has seen an awful lot of weird stuff going on in the underworld of Gotham City. So Dick reluctantly puts on the bat suit and goes to pay Gordon a visit in the hospital. Jim notices right away that this isn't his usual Batman, for one thing, Dick is a lot shorter, and he smiles, and uses please and thank you. But the Batman has to come back, and Jimbo is rapidly running out of options. This Bane guy has some seriously dark plans for Gotham, and the city needs a hero. So, Dick Batman it is. Next order of business is to attend a charity ball. Why? Because the GPS tracker on the pearl necklace says Selina is in attendance here. So Dick plays the ward of a billionaire card and Cinderella goes to the ball, cutting in to dance with Selena. They chat a bit, learn a bit about each other, Selena may be wanting to get out of the life she's been leading, but Dick can't quite convince her to go straight because in this modern age, there's no such thing as a fresh start. And she's automatically distrustful of Dick, even though he was born in a trailer to humble circus performers, because he was plucked from that dust and straw to live in the lap of luxury. So who is he to judge her? Selena gives her eerie, there's a storm coming speech. Dick retrieves the pearls, but before he can leave the party, he is stopped by Miranda Tate, a beautiful woman with gorgeous hair. Um, she's the person putting on the party, raising the money for charity. They talk a bit about the clean energy project Bruce was working on before he disappeared, um, the one that was a failed investment, supposedly. And they talk a lot about Bruce, how Miranda was acquainted with him for more than just business. And she was really hoping Bruce would come to the party in person because there is a matter that she's been wanting to discuss with him, a matter that's been waiting, oh, about 10 years. 
from around a corner, Miranda's son, Damien, appears. It takes all Dick has not to pass out on the floor. He'd obviously like a few more explanations, but Miranda basically drops Damien off with Dick and tells him Bruce should call her when and if he gets a chance. And Dick kind of freaks out for a bit because he's now saddled with parenthood of Bruce's biological son, no less. And he's also just realized that Selena stole his car. Become the ward of a billionaire, they said. It'll be fun, they said. So midnight has struck and Cinderella's coach has turned into a pumpkin and Dick leaves the ball in disgrace, highly embarrassed and with a second grader in tow. One who was apparently trained as an assassin and repeatedly threatens to kill Dick and take his place as the true blood son of Bruce Wayne. This night is going great, but at least he got the pearls back. Dick wakes up the next morning and after two murder attempts by Damien, goes to work to chat with Lucius Fox. They look through Lucius' collection of bat toys, remnants of old defense contracts. Um, now that Dick is playing Batman, this could all be useful in the fight against Bane. Damien actually knows a thing or two at Bane, at least his legends. Mysteriously, the kid won't say what his connection is. But Bane apparently escaped the unescapable pit, was trained by Rajal Ghoul, and then excommunicated by him. And in the words of Alfred, any man too extreme for Rajal Ghoul is not to be trifled with. Damien is pretty confident Grayson could never beat Bane anyway, and Dick secretly agrees and hopes to avoid a direct fight if at all possible. But that day is the day Bane hits the stock exchange. Ready or not, Dick Batman is out in full, motorcycle chase through the streets. The police chase the Batman, Batman chases the hacker with the computer, but fails to stop the program from completing, so Bane gets away, and after a marvelous waste of police resources, so does Batman. So where does this leave us? Well, not a lot of points on the side of justice. Even the side of Grey is not doing so well. Selina is finding out that this clean slate program she's been working for doesn't exist. And while Batman does help her get out of trouble... It's still a crippling disappointment. But we get some info out of her. Daggett was the one who bought Bruce Wayne's fingerprints and has some investment in what went down in the stock market. Also, Selina is terrified of Bane. Pretty much, Bane was the only one who came out of the evening with a victory. And the hits just keep on coming. When Dick c gets back to the manor, Alfred tells him that he's received a call from Bruce. Like, on the one hand, oh good, he's alive, but on the other, where in the 52 Earths has he been all this time? Bruce wouldn't say, just that he needs Alfred and Dick to hold down the fort. Calling him back only gets an answering service. Tracing the call is fruitless. So Dick leaves a long message in which he finds several creative ways to tell Bruce to go screw himself. And oh, also congratulations, you're a daddy now. Get back here and raise your son before he kills me. Things do not look any rosier after a good night's sleep, assuming any sleep can be had when you're sharing the mansion with a spoiled, entitled super assassin that feels you have stolen his birthright. But Dick wakes up to find that those fingerprints Selena stole were put to good use, identity theft. Some unknown person used them to make some bets on the futures exchange under Bruce's name. And after all that mess went down in the stock market... Yeah, Bruce Wayne is completely broke, and by extension, so is Dick Grayson. 
Damien's not sure where this leaves him, but he's not so thrilled. And at this point, all Dick can think about is that he really should have stayed in Bloodhaven. But they've got to move if they want to keep a nuclear reactor from falling into the hands of John Daggett. You see, that clean energy project Bruce had going actually worked. It wasn't a failure. But a Russian scientist found a way to turn the device into a weapon. And rather than be responsible for a new weapon of mass destruction falling into the wrong hands, Bruce halted the whole project, pretended it was a failure, and stopped research. It's just sort of sitting there under the city now. But if the project gets into Daggett's hands, he'll surely sell it, or at least the designs. The only solution, now that Dick has completely lost control of the company, is to get Miranda Tate to take over the board and keep the project hidden. Also, Dick's been wanting to talk to her again because her son may in fact be a psychopath. He's not sure. But they get her promise that she'll handle things with the company, which makes Damien happy. He still has the family connection. And they'll all go to the company and convince the board to back Miranda, not John Daggett. And Dick gets kicked out of the company. So, jobless, no money, small child still trailing behind with a katana. They're letting him keep the mansion, thank goodness. And after that fateful board meeting, Dick's car gets towed. That's where teenage stalker Timmy comes to the rescue again. He's got a car, and he's dragged Jason along so someone's old enough to drive it. The two may have been bonding and getting awfully chummy over the whole Batman's back in Gotham thing. They actually made popcorn and watched the whole motorcycle police chase on TV. They also have it in their heads that Batman needs a Robin, and it should be one of them. Dick is like, no, and they're like, fine, you can walk home, and he's like, okay, I'll think about it. I need to have a chat with Bane, I could use backup, and Timmy has awesome techno-stalker skills. Jason's only too eager to show off his street-fighting abilities. Damien is probably the darkest thing in the city. So very trepidatiously, Dick breaks the spare Robin costumes out of storage. Jason loses the rock-paper-scissors tourney and ends up with the pixie boots and the short pants. Then Damien attacks Tim and throws him off the dinosaur. So their first day as Robin is going great. Dick saves poor Timmy and tells Damien that if there's any more murder attempts on his teammates, nobody's going anywhere. Then there is a crash course in training, basically a few hours of please don't get yourself killed 101, and off they go. First item of business, find Selina. After being surrounded by Batman and three Robins, one who is no stranger to killing things, she's intimidated enough to agree to lead them to Bane. Last chance for the Robins to turn back. All of them decide that safety is overrated. So they all go into the sewers, following Selina, taking out thugs with amazing efficiency. Damien and Jason are great fighters. Tim is an amazing detective and is gathering clues and information and investigating things on his tablet while the others punch stuff. Weird stuff is happening in the sewer tunnels, weird construction projects. And as Tim looks stuff up, he finds out that John Daggett's name is all over the permits of those construction projects. His crews are the ones doing all that work. But for what purpose? Hmm. That will be something to piece together later, because then they find Bane. Dun-dun-dun! Dick has all the Robins hang back in the shadows and approaches the cage thing. He's not really hankering for a fight, so he doesn't follow Selina in and get trapped in the cage match. Um, Batman and Bane toss around some words for a bit about Gotham's reckoning. Dick tries to interrogate or reason from a distance, and basically has no success. 
but he does learn that Bane knows he's Dick Grayson. And that's problematic. There's also all the second-rate Batman comments, but since Dick is both failing to get Bane to talk about his plan and allowing the legacy of Batman to be humiliated, Damien decides he can't take anymore. He runs past Dick and charges at Bane. And that's where the whole plan goes to pieces. Damien is pretty awesome, trained by someone very important, but Bane was trained by that same very important person, and Bane has decades of experience and he's built like a truck. Damien starts getting the snot beat out of him, so of course Dick races in and cuts into the dance party. And as great as a fighter as Dick is, Bane is formidable for him too. Also factor in that Bruce's costume does not suit Dick's acrobatic fighting style at all. So Dick's defense of Damien kind of results in a massive beatdown, and the other two Robins, Tim and Jason, have the hearts of Gryffindors and the common sense of serving spoons, so they jump in there because no Batman is ever gonna die on Robin's watch. And that's when the metal door shuts, locking the four of them in there with Bane. Cage match. You'd like to think four versus one might give the good guys a chance, but one is a ten-year-old, one is fighting in what he has described as a ball gown made of Kevlar, and the other two were picked up off the street less than 12 hours ago. So while this fight is cinematically awesome in my mind, and our boys put up very good fights, I'm just going to skip straight to the injuries. Damien gets slammed into a wall and fractures his spine. Dick's arms and legs are all broken, so he's pretty much stuck on the ground trying not to move or get stepped on. Tim takes Bane nearly 10 minutes to catch, and while he's running around, manages to send out distress emails to Alfred and the GCPD, but eventually Bane grabs him and throws him and the tablet into the sewer water, and while Timmy tries not to drown in refuse, Bane goes after Jason and beats the poor kid to death. Didn't even use a crowbar. Now, that kind of proves all the points Bane wanted to make, so it ends the fight, He was going to drop Batman down that giant hole, but he figures it's not worth the trouble to waste all that symbolism on Batman light. It just doesn't have the same impact if it's not Bruce. The Al Ghouls have a fixation with him, not Gypsy Circus Brat. Also, Gypsy Circus Brat sees your rock ledge and climbing rock challenge thing and says, please, I could make that jump in my sleep. Kiss me goodbye, I'm defying gravity. So maybe that's a lucky break? I don't know. Dick's personal hell of Bane's creation is lying helplessly while Jason is murdered, and the other Robins are critically injured, knowing that he led them into danger and stared into their eyes while they suffered. He doesn't need to be dropped into that pit in the middle of Arabia or wherever. Also, Bane broke into Lucius's secret R&D bat toy laboratory, but that kind of takes a backseat to Jason's death. It's pretty bad, and they're down there for a while after Bane leaves because, haha, Dick and Damien are still kinda immobile and Selina is running for her life, so the only one able to deal with getting medical attention and (laughs) moving the dead body is poor little Timbo. Eventually, between Tim, Lucius, and that version of the Batmobile with the back seats, they get back into the Batcave, at which point Lucius says, no, we're getting a real hospital, darn it. Also, Dick, you moron. Damien and Dick are redressed in civvies and checked into Gotham General Hospital. Tim handles the cover stories, and wow, CPS wants to know just what dangerous activities Dick allows youngsters to participate in. 
Miranda Tate also wants to know how Dick managed to break her son. And since he can't tell her about Batman, she takes back custody of Damien. Her family's still loaded. She's got a bunch of cutting-edge doctors on payroll that can not only fix but actually replace Damien's spine. It's a comic book franchise. Just go with it. Either way, Damien's going to be fine. Dick, however, is flat broke and doesn't have insurance. So that whole medical treatment thing... It's only because Tim has ridiculous amounts of pocket change that they're able to finagle basic care in a wheelchair. Dick's in a body cast, but he'll live. And Tim graciously wheels him out for Jason's eventual funeral, once the police are tipped off where to find the body and all that. After that, Dick tells Tim he can't be Robin anymore. You'd think Tim wouldn't want to be after all this, but Tim has issues. So when Dick fires him, Tim just lets go of the wheelchair and walks away, leaving Dick just sitting there on the sidewalk, unable to push himself because of the body cast. He's there for a couple of days. Eventually, Damien finishes with the spinal replacement and comes to fetch him. Miranda is very reluctant to have Damien anywhere near Dick anymore and is a little surprised that he'd even want to be, but Damien is insistent. He told his mom that he wants to take over his father's legacy, and that means there actually needs to be a legacy, and they need Grayson to make that happen. She says she doesn't see how, but she lets him go back to Dick for ulterior motives. Damien is very quick to add, it's not like I care about Grayson or anything. It's not like I've liked him or grown accustomed to him or have a conscience or a heart. Meanwhile, also in the hospital is Commissioner Gordon, who has been staging an independent investigation from his hospital bed and orders all the police into the sewers to smoke out Bane. Also, Miranda Tate has been forced by Bane, along with Lucius and another member of the Board of Trustees, to give out the codes for that nuclear reactor that's just sitting under the city. Remember, this happened in the movie. So, every cop in the city is in the sewers. A reactor that can be turned into a bomb now has the means to do so. Bane is still at large and in charge. And that takes us up to the oh-so-iconic movie trailer, Tim may be ticked at Dick right now, but not so passive-aggressive to actually stop helping. Nope, fire him as Robin. He just calls himself Red Robin and keeps on trucking. Tim continues to look into the evidence he collected from the sewers. All Bane's activities down there, all the construction permits with Daggett's name on them. He pokes around a few construction sites and questions the workers, and eventually figures out that they're making explosives. By the time he tells Gordon, it's too late. Gotham is a series of explosions. Bane turns this place into, well, no man's land. He breaks the prisoners out of Blackgate. He announces to the world that Gotham has a nuclear bomb that will detonate if anyone comes in or out. The place is a war zone. And very quickly, I don't know, Lord of the Flies mentality takes over. The wealthy are attacked and driven from their homes. The few police not trapped in the sewers are beaten and threatened, looting and pillaging, violence and despair. Damien just watches the TV and glares. Congratulations, Grayson. You've been in charge for less than a week and you've already managed to destroy my father's company, his legacy, got a teenager killed and doomed all of Gotham City. And Dick's like, just imagine what I could get done with a whole month. 
They, of course, are forced to leave the manor and go into hiding. At first, they run to Tim, but Tim's no help because his family's also lost all of their money, their home, etc. They were wealthy, remember? And for the sake of Tim's sanity, we're going to say that the Drakes have been out of town and left their little boy behind, like they are wont to do, and are safe and broke and alive out in Europe somewhere. Tim's used to being on his own. He is, however, also used to being on his own with resources, so he clings to Dick like static on laundry, even though Dick Grayson has about 50 cents in his pockets, and with the stock exchange taking that hit, it's probably not even worth that. So everyone's holed up in the Batcave. Dick slowly waits for his bones to mend, and the three of them bolt the doors and try to figure out what they're going to do. So, the government isn't going to help, because, yeah, bomb thousands of civilians. I mean, they try to help, but it's kind of useless. And as far as anyone can tell, Bruce Wayne or his alias don't appear to be making any cameos in the near future. So, they start working on a plan to take back their city. First item of business, they need to stabilize that bomb, not only because Bane might detonate it at any time, but also because when Damien sneaks out to talk to his mom and Lucius, they hear that the thing is deteriorating. It's eventually going to go off no matter what Bane does. So mission one, sneak that bomb away from Bane and stabilize it. But its hiding place is mobile. Bane's got a bunch of trucks going through the city and it's in one of those. Mission two, Obviously, Bane is going to get wise, and he's got a large chunk of the city, the criminal and extremely disenfranchised, on his side. And you have to think, for some people of Gotham, those who are locked up in prison or those who are living in extreme poverty, this new state of Gotham is not actually that much different. It's not a big step down to what they were already living in, except that now they have the illusion of being somewhat in control. So yeah, Bane can easily get them riled up and willing to kill and fight and not even notice that the city's running out of food or bombs are going to kill them all or that Bane really doesn't care about making Gotham a better place. Team Cock Robin needs an army. Every last cop they can scrounge up. They're going to need to get the police out of the sewers. They're going to need Commissioner Gordon. Basically, they're going to need everyone they can get to help them. And that means Selina. So that's mission three. Tim digs around for a bit, looks some stuff up on the Batcave's computer, and eventually finds that clean slate program Selina wants is viable after all, and he thinks he can use that to motivate her. After Dick heals and gets back in the game, Dick approaches Selina. Now they're pressed for time, and the bomb is going to go off tomorrow. Synchronize your watches, people. In exchange for the program, Selina is going to rescue Lucius Fox so he can get to the reactor and stabilize it. They make their plan, and then Damien has a confession to make. He says they can't trust Miranda Tate, his mother. In fact, he and his mother are pretty much enemies right now. He won't get into the details, but he says that Miranda isn't going to be giving them any more help, and that Damien is pretty much dead to her because he's chosen Dick and Gotham over his true family. Dick is extremely touched and initiates a group hug that has Damien threatening to stick a knife between his ribs. They don't get any more information out of Damien, so they have just got to go with the plan. So Tim is sent in the dead of night to contact Commissioner Gordon, let him know what's going down tomorrow, and find an appropriate place to sneak the police out of the sewers. This plan has a tiny problem in that as he's breaking out the cops, he gets shot by a mysterious man in a red helmet. 
Red Robin goes down, but he's luckily found quickly and rushed back to the Batcave by Damien, who is extremely miffed because this was his idea to kill off all the other Robins, and Dick's like, oh my gosh, can everyone stop trying to kill Tim? They patch up Red Robin, this takes us till morning, and then they break out that flying tank. Dick and Damien blow the sewers and let all the cops out, then exit the vehicle to confront Red Hood, the man in the red helmet. Dick's like, hold everything, the Joker is involved now. But Red Hood takes off the helmet and reveals his identity to be the late Jason Todd. Dick asks him how he's alive, but Jason pulls a remote out of his pocket and presses a button. At first, it doesn't seem to do anything. At first. Then Damien starts drawing his sword. Robin attacks Batman, and while they fight, Jason tells the tale of how Miranda had a computer chip placed in Damien's spine when he was in the hospital, so they could hear all their plans, but mostly control Damien. After all, it was disappointing how Damien seemed to be allying with Grayson when he has such a proud legacy and destiny, not just on his father's side with Bruce Wayne, but also on his mother's side. For Miranda Tate is none other than Talia al Ghul, daughter of Rage al Ghul. That's a reveal that throws Dick for a loop. Damien is like, yeah, I probably should have mentioned that before we started this little rebellion. Anyway, epic fight scene between Batman and Robin. Dick's like, I know you're in there, Damien. And Damien's like, of course I'm in here, stupid. Now break the remote. Dick can't figure out how to do that right away, so he starts trying to reason with Jason. Like, why are you attacking us? How did you get involved with Talia? How are you alive? Etc. Well, Talia kind of brought Jason back to life via Lazarus Pit, so that gives her a lot of points over Batman, who got him beaten to death. And you know, Lazarus Pits, Jason came back, uh, but he's kind of came back a little crazy, and he's still trying to work through that. Dick has a speech about how you were born and raised in the city and now it's in shambles, which doesn't do much for Jason, but it does stall for time until Tim hobbles onto the scene. Not that he can do a whole heck of a lot, but he's got that suicidal sense of justice. So he starts throwing batarangs at Talia, most of them miss, and Jason tries to shoot him again. Dick is still dodging Damien, and in the midst of all this chaos, Selina shows up and says, Hey, bird brains, I found Lucius. Isn't anyone going to do something about the bomb? Since all the good guys are preoccupied fighting other former good guys, they tell Selina to go deal with the bomb herself, and she's like, I don't owe you people anything. She's done her job. And by the way, Commissioner Gordon just led an army of policemen against Bane, and the big guy is ready to break some bat bones. So Selina leaves. She's already got her clean slate, and as she predicted, Bane shows up not long after, with his massive frame towering over all of them. Dick gives one final rallying speech, like, Okay, Robins, I know we've had some differences. I know I've let a couple of you get seriously, even fatally hurt. I know Gotham's become a cesspool on my watch, But that bomb's gonna go off in less than an hour, and we need to put all of that behind us and work together if we're gonna save the city. If we work together, we can take down Bane and stabilize the reactor. Talia and Bane think Batman is insane, but he continues to inspire loyalty, and it works on Tim, and as much of Damien as possible, considering he's being remote-controlled. 
Tim ducks into a corner, takes apart one of the explosive batarangs, and rewires it into an EMP, tosses it at Talia, and effectively blocks the remote signal for a second. And Dick uses that moment to wrestle the remote away from her and crushes it under his foot. Now we're back to Bane. And it's still as much of a one-sided fight as ever, though the teamwork between the Robins is better. Robin, Red Robin, and Batman working together to watch each other's backs and keep each other from dying. Mostly. (laughs) Eventually, Bane gets a grip on Dick and starts choking him with one hand, swatting away the two other Robins like they're mosquitoes. It looks like curtains. And now, Mr. Grayson, you have my permission to die. And that's when Jason Todd steps up and shoots the side of Bane's mask. That no guns thing, he says, I'm not sure I feel as strongly about it as you do. There is hissing and Bane is in agony. He lets go of Batman. Everyone rushes him. Where is the bomb? Where is it? Talia's like, you don't need to know where it is because I have the detonator in my hand. Jason shoots her. Dick's like, no killing. And Jason's like, oh, go fall off a trapeze. She'll be fine. So they have 11 minutes to reconnect the core of the reactor before Gotham goes boom. Jason knows where the core, the bomb, is, so he leads the team on a high-speed chase through Gotham, dodging military fire and whatever's left of Bane and Talia's supporters, following the truck. But they're running out of time, and unfortunately, Lucius is just finding out that Talia has flooded the underground chamber to the nuclear reactor, so stabilizing that thing is going to be impossible. Jason's like, okay, I did not know about that, that is not my fault. So, they're all crammed into the bat tank, chasing the truck with the bomb, still under fire, and trying to figure out how to stop the thing and what to do with it when they find it, when suddenly, there's an explosion. Someone threw a grenade. The truck is stopped, and the Bat Boys catch up and find that it was Selina Kyle who threw the grenade. You stayed! Dick is so happy to find his faith in human nature validated, but now they've got to get that thing as far away from the city as possible. They hook that thing up to the flying tank and pause. No autopilot. Well, what if we just point it in one direction and hope it doesn't drift? Yeah, that's a terrible idea. In the midst of all of this, a communicator on Dick's bat belt starts ringing. Selena didn't think anyone in this city was getting cell phone service, but this is special. Dick picks up to hear a very angry Bruce growling on the other end, What have you done to my city? I'm remodeling, Dick says. Now how can I move a bomb several miles in the next 60 seconds? Bruce just grunts out like, Oh, you've been handling it so well, I'll let you figure the rest out by yourself. And then he hangs up. And Dick just screams like, You are so not getting a Father's Day present this year! So that's that. No Batman to help the other Batman. The boys all look to each other. Jason steps back, like, don't look at me, I already died once on this adventure. Dick is Batman, self-sacrifice is his job, so he jumps in the car, plane, tank thing, and prepares to take off. But Tim jumps in the passenger seat. He's like, I'm good with techno stuff. Let's see if I can't make a software patch to give us autopilot. Dick is reluctant, but Tim insists, and they're on a time limit. Besides, it might be nice not to die alone. So they fly the bomb out over the bay, further and further, clock is ticking, down, 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 and finally Tim's like, I've got it! I programmed it to keep flying without a driver. And Dick's like, go, go, gadget, ejector seat! The two are launched out of the vehicle, land very painfully on the shores of Gotham, but thankfully out of the blast zone, and the city is saved. 
Dick and Tim reunite with Damien, Jason, and Selena. They all go back to the mansion to celebrate slash bandage up their many wounds. Not that the house has any power or anything. They're still kind of broke. Eventually, Selena leaves with that Fresh Start program of hers. Good luck to her. The GCPD starts imposing order on things. Talia is both hospitalized and arrested. Basically, life starts to move on. And eventually, Bruce and Alfred show up. And it's like, oh my gosh, what kept you? Bruce has no comment on that, but he looks around at the three little Robins Dick has trailing after him and raises an eyebrow. And Dick's like, they followed me home. Can we keep them? Roll credits. Like I said, kind of a weird little story, mostly just me goofing off. But I wanted to take it light for this first episode. Hopefully there will be many, many more. And some of them will be sillier than this one. And some of them will be much more serious. Far less fanfic-like. But it's New Year's Day. Let's have a little fun. I hope you all enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please consider visiting my Patreon, patreon.com slash professional dork. This podcast is available for free every two weeks, but for a $2 donation, you get twice the amount of episodes. Every single week, you get an episode, a story, along with many other perks and goodies. So if that's something that interests you, please head on over. I've got to go start writing the next story. And so, goodbye until we meet again.